Hi, I'm Greg. This is my wife, Steele, and we are New Hope Superheroes. We volunteer here in the Cambridge kitchen. We're generally here on Sunday mornings, making coffee, making cookies, and serving it to all the attendees. We've also worked at various weddings, funerals, and other events that require food service out of the kitchen. We work at Ruby's Pantry, volunteer in the nursery, and just help out in general around New Hope. Well, what motivates us to serve here is just that, why wouldn't we? We're given the abilities, we're given the means to do it, we have the time. Um, God didn't give us these gifts to hang on to for ourselves, He gave them to share with others. And that's basically what we want to do is just serve wherever we can to make life a little better for somebody, maybe a little happier for getting a cookie and a coffee. And um, if that makes their life a little happier, that's a good thing. And we're happy about that. Greg and I don't see ourselves as action heroes. We're just here to serve the Lord. It's really the Holy Spirit who's working in the hearts of the people who we serve who are the heroes. Knowing that we can make a difference in somebody else's life motivates us to serve here at New Hope and beyond. We had the church we came from. There was a family that walked in the door. They, I directed them all to Sunday school rooms, but the fifth grader didn't want to go to Sunday school, so I asked him to help me in the kitchen. And after that, that family was so involved in our church because they had a home. Knowing that they could volunteer, knowing they had a place to be there, that was where they had to find, that's where they found a home. So if I can help anybody find a home by volunteering, encourage them to come along and volunteer with me, that's what it's all about. The joy that everyone has, that, that all the volunteers there have, is so obvious. Um, and I think that trans transposes sort of onto the people who the clients who come in. And it's just a good feeling to know that people are seeing that love that we're, that we're giving out. That's, uh, that really impresses me. Um, what I would say to people at New Hope that are thinking about serving is that there are so many areas that you can serve in and you don't sign a contract, you're not committed to any one area and you can just try your hand at different things until you find something that fits. Um, and the, it's just so much fun. We have more fun um, Sunday mornings with the group that comes in here to volunteer. We interact with the worship team when they're practicing. And we just have a ball. It's really one of the fun parts of the week. What I'd love to have people know about serving at New Hope is that it really is fun. And for us, who are family, our biological family is far away, this is our family. And we've been able to make connections with so many people and great, create great bonds with these people. It's been fun. So Greg and I would like the people of New Hope to come and be action heroes with us. We look forward to serving with you. I'll have you know, Greg and Seal are absolute rock stars, and they feed me breakfast every Sunday morning. With all the coffee, with all the coffee and the cookies that they make, I appreciate it. <laughs> as someone who's not a big breakfast guy, but I'll get my sugar in, that's for sure. Well, as we start this series, Action Heroes, like Greg and Seal have already mentioned, and Gabby already mentioned, we're talking about, we're really hitting on, what does it mean to serve? But I don't want us to think of serving just in the capacity of like, oh, you know, it's good to serve people. I think that there's something so much deeper to serving and being in God's kingdom and, and doing what God has called us to do, living the life that God has called us to live. And so I want to start off with a question this morning. Think back to when you were a little kid and your parents or your grandma and grandpa, they asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you, what do you remember answering? I remember when I was a kid, I used to say, you know, a police officer, a fireman. 
right? That's what most little kids say. We want to be some sort of hero. I remember, you know, even sometimes growing up, I thought, I want to be Batman, right? And we get to a point where we realize a little bit later on in life, we get a little more maybe realistic. And yes, a lot of us came, went on to be, you know, police officers and firemen. Uh, but we got to a point really where we realized being literally Batman is a little unrealistic. But ask any little kid, what do they say? It's Batman. It's police officer. It's fireman. And I believe that we answer this in this way because there's something in every single one of us that we need a hero or we want to be a hero. There's something in our human DNA that says, like, gosh, we crave heroism. We crave being a hero, coming to the rescue. Or, you know, every time we watch movies, you know, Gabby mentioned Marvel. There's like 15 new Marvel movies every year, it seems like. There's a new Batman, a new Iron Man, a new Avengers. Like, what in the world? Why is this? Because we crave superheroes. And I believe that there's a spiritual reason behind this. You know, Jesus is our ultimate action hero. Jesus is our ultimate savior. He is the one that came to redeem humanity. He is the one that we need. And I think God has created it, each and every one of us, yes, uniquely, but all with the same desire that we need something. And I believe that that something is Jesus, but we all believe that we need something. It's why there's so many different religions. It's why people turn to their vices. It's why people turn to certain things in life to try to give themselves meaning. It's because we need, we know we need something. But say, we believe that something is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We need a hero. And so here's what I want you to know today before I start my sermon, even though I feel like I'm already preaching. But here's what I want you to know. You are not your job. You are not your money. You're not your 401k. You are who God says you are. You are who God has created you to be. Now the question, or the, the thing that motivates us from there is, are we living life according to that purpose? I know it's only, it's 9.13 in the morning right now, so I'm going to get a little deep. I know it's a little early, but if you were to die today, how would you feel about your life? If you were to die today, how would you feel about your life? Did it have meaning? Did it have purpose? I believe that's the question that we're going to answer today. And I'm not going to be arrogant to say I'm going to answer that question in the next 20 minutes. All right, That's a big, deep, vast question. But I believe that the story that Jesus is going to teach us today is going to hit a nerve on that question. So let's go to Matthew chapter 24 and 25. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up. If not, it'll be up on the screen as well. But I'm splitting this sermon up today in kind of two different sections. In the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, Jesus kind of intros with the disciples. He's talking about what is the kingdom of God like? And then we're going to jump into sort of the end of Matthew 25, where Jesus uses a specific parable to teach what the kingdom of God is like. And so here's uh, the start, verses um, 1 and 2. It says, Jesus left the temple... And he was walking away when his disciples came up to him and they called his attention to its buildings. And Jesus says, do you see all these things? Do you see these buildings? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left on another. Every stone will be thrown down. That's a very aggressive way to talk about the temple where people worship. But this is why. Here's what Jesus is talking about. He says, instead, the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and he entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another he gave two bags of gold, and to one he gave one bag of gold, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey, and the man who had received five bags of gold, at, he went at once and he put his money to work and gained five bags more. That's good. 
So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. That's awesome. But the man who had received one bag, he went off and he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. Now, for the sake of time, because the parable continues to go on, it says that the master comes back, and the master is the metaphor for God in this, in this story. The master comes back, and to the man who doubled his five bags of gold, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. And to the man who, who doubled his two bags of gold, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. But where we're going to focus today is this third guy who buries his gold. It says the man who had received one bag of gold, he came and the master said, I know, he said to his master, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And so I was afraid and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, now this is a, a very, a very blunt response. You wicked and lazy servants. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and I, I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So that's a long parable. But what we're getting at is right away, we see the meaning. I think this is a very simple story, and yet it's a very complex story. The main message that Jesus is trying to convey about what the kingdom of God is, is that we all have gifts according to God. God has gifted us with certain abilities, certain amount of wealth, whatever it is, and so we are called now to go use that in his kingdom, to go use that in the world, to serve God and serve people. That is the main meaning behind this parable. But I believe that also this parable is so much deeper. There's so much truths in this story that we can find out. And if we learn them, if we understand what Jesus is doing with this story, it can take our faith to the next level. It can, we can fully understand what God truly has for us on this earth. And so I want to start off with this. What is the kingdom of God according to Jesus? According to what Jesus has just told his disciples about these, the masters and the servants, what is the kingdom of God? Well, at the beginning of this story, what we read about Jesus kind of talking about how he's going to turn over the temple, how he's going to destroy it brick by brick. There's a lot of meaning behind that. And you might think, well, why in the world would Jesus, right, the Son of God, destroy the temple where, you know, we worship God? And the reason is because, you might have heard this before, but the church, the, or the presence of God, the body of Christ, you and I, we are not meant to be confined to a building. What Jesus is trying to convey to his disciples is he's saying, yes, the temple is great. It is a place now where you come to worship. But when I die on the cross and when I resurrect, we are no longer going to worship just in a building. But my presence is not going to live in just a building. My presence is going to live amongst all of you. And so we no longer go to a building. In fact, I'm going to destroy the temple because Jesus is becoming the temple himself. The presence of God isn't meant to be stored in one place where everybody goes to worship. The presence of God is meant to be stored in Jesus and in all of us. And now we are sent out to be the light to the world. This is the message that Jesus is trying to convey. This is why it's so important in this parable what Jesus is talking about, about with the masters and the servants. We are not meant to hide our, our wealth. We're not meant to hide our gold. We're not meant to hide the gifts that God has given us. We are meant to go out and we're meant, we're meant to double them. We're meant to go out and to put them to use. And this is what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples. That church is not about a building. 
church is not about grandiosity and look at how many people we have in our seats on Sunday mornings and look at how well our giving is doing. I mean, all those things are great things. But church is successful when it reflects the kingdom of God. Church is not successful when you see a a big, grandiose building. Church is not successful when you see thousands of people attending it every single Sunday or even Saturday night. Church is successful when it looks like the kingdom of God, where the presence of God is just, weird word, but just oozing from the people. The love and the grace and the mercy of God is just reflecting out of every single person. This is what it means to be the church, to be the kingdom. And it's so important, I think, to understand this because, you know, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, right? Even 3,000 years ago in the Old Testament. And so many people get in their minds, that, oh, you know, the Bible is outdated. It's not relevant today. Yeah, it was good for the time, you know, when they lived in archaic times and middle-aged times. But man, we're so modern today. Do we really need God's word? But I think that if Jesus came back and he stood here instead of me with a microphone, I think that he would preach the same parable. Because we need to know, especially I think in America where success is usually measured by how much money do you have, how big is your house, how many cars do you have, we need to know, especially here today, that the success of our church is not about how beautiful our building is or how many campuses we have, but the success of our church is measured by do we reflect the kingdom of God? Do we serve God and do we serve one another? And here's what this looks like. In this passage, it says that the master, he went away on his journey, and he called his servants, and he entrusted his wealth to them. That's what I want to focus on. He entrusted his wealth to his servants. That word entrust lets us know that the wealth that we have, and I'm not just talking about financial wealth, I'm talking about the abilities that we have, the families that we have. It's not ours. We don't own it. We had a lady who passed away back around March or April, and, and in her will, a portion of her will, the proceeds or her, her finances went to New Hope, and she, because she told us before that, and she's like, hey, when I die, this is what's going to happen, and then she passed away, and now we are going to receive a gift, and she told us, she said, it's because it's not mine. God has gifted me with this wealth. It's yours. It's the church's. It's whatever God wants to do with it, and we're like, that is somebody who gets it, right? Because so many times in our minds, we might think, well, you know, I have, I have money. Why do I need God? You know, I'm doing really well financially. Isn't, you know, isn't Jesus kind of for people who are a little bit more needy, a little bit, you know, a little bit more obviously broken? Or, you know, maybe your family is beautiful. You've got beautiful kids. They're super smart. Your wife is really well behaved. Okay. <laughs> I'm telling you, when I got married, man, my wife really figured it out. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, you might be thinking, man, I got a beautiful family. Kids are great. Wife is great. I got the white picket fence. I have a jet ski. <laughs> I have a four-wheeler. My wife lets me go deer hunting every opener. Why do I need Jesus? I have. You know, I've got it. Or maybe you're thinking, you know, man, I, I've never really done that many bad things before. You know, my life has been pretty good. Yes, I tried. You know, I, I smoked marijuana when I was in college once, but only once. I didn't like it. It's not for me. And now I have a great 401k, and you know, life is good. I got the white picket fence. You know, my life is good. That's awesome. But these are gifts from God. 
God has gifted you with a family. He has entrusted you with this beautiful family. He has entrusted you with this life of obedience to him where maybe you've never done drugs. Awesome. He has gifted you a life like that. And maybe you're sitting here saying you're, you're doing awesome financially. That is a gift of God. When this parable says that the master entrusted his wealth to his servants, God is entrusting you with his wealth. He is entrusting you with his family. The question for us now is, what are we going to do with it? How are we then being like the first servant with five bags of gold or the second with two bags of gold? How are we going out and we're using it for the glory of God? We are using our families for the glory of God. We're using our money for the glory of God. We're using everything that we have been entrusted with, all the gifts that God has given us, the abilities that he's given us, and we're using it for God's glory. We're using it for God's kingdom. That's our purpose. But like I said, I want to focus in on this third guy. Because we're not all told, well done, good and faithful servants. And I remember 10 years ago, my grandma passed away. And she had Alzheimer's and dementia, and it was brutal. It was one of the most difficult experiences I think I've ever gone through in my life. As a teenager, watching my grandma go through these debilitating diseases. And I remember when she passed away, this is the story that came to mind. You know, that, that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. Because it's, you know, I have so many memories with my grandma. You know, I, all the root beer floats, all the sleepovers, or we'd put a sign on the door that said, no girls allowed, which is ironic, because it was with my grandma. <laughs> and I'll, I'll never forget those memories. But it's also the moments that I'll never forget when I, when I found out later on in life that my grandma was writing checks to our, our Christian school because my dad was laid off. But she thought it was so important that I get a Christian education. And my grandma had like no money. She was a single mom who worked as a secretary. She had like nothing. And yet she's just writing checks, keeping me in my Christian school. And I find that out later after I graduate. And I'm like, What? And I wish I could say thank you. I mean, she's passed now, but it's like, that is what it looks like to serve God and serve his kingdom. To recognize that your wealth, your family, everything that you have, it's not your own. And that's where this third guy gets into trouble. That's where this third guy, he goes and he buries the wealth that his master gave him. And there's a few reasons why I think that this is. And I think that some of us today, maybe we're in that situation before where, you know, because we talk about it a lot here at New Hope. We believe in putting your faith in action. So we talk about volunteering. We talk about serving the community. And there's a lot of us that are just stuck. Maybe we've never done that or maybe we're like, ah, you know, I just, I just don't want to serve. I just, you know, I got a lot going on. Maybe you're busy, and I'm not going to tell you to quit your kids' sports and activities. Those are great, right? Lead your family well. Do what you need to do. Lead your family well in that area. But I think that there's some reasons why, why many of us, we get stuck and we become this third man who goes and buries the wealth that God had given him, his master had given him. And one of those reasons, I believe, is some of us have a father wound or maybe even a family wound from our past. I mean, read what this guy says about his master. He says, Master, I know that you are a hard man, so I was afraid. We're getting a clue. This guy isn't just lazy and incompetent. He didn't just bury his wealth because he's like, I don't know what to do with it. No, what does he say about his master? He's a hard man, so this man is afraid of him. 
And how many of us grew up in a church or grew up with a father or grew up in a family where we've always been told we're not good enough? How many of us feel like we're constantly feeling like we're rejects? We're so afraid of failure because when we were kids or when we were living with our parents or when we were going to our old little church, our pastor was just driving us home every day that we are guilty, we should be judged, we should be condemned. And this is how so many people feel. We don't serve God because we see God as vindictive, he's angry, he's disappointed in us, but this is so wrong. We've created this image of God in our head that's based on our past experiences of somebody else who didn't see God correctly either. And so many people today, the problem that we get into our minds, we have to be so careful of is we create God in the image that we think he should be created in. Instead of believing the God of the Bible, instead of believing God is who he says he is based on the Bible, we believe God is angry because we grew up with an angry dad. We believe that God is disappointed in us because a preacher growing up used to always tell us how we're just sinners. And we are. But God is good and he's gracious and he's merciful. We bury our treasure because we're so afraid of failure or rejection. Or man, we would, instead of, you know, if God gave us a gift, man, instead of using it in the wrong way, I'm just going to do nothing. Because I am so afraid that God's going to look at me one day and say, I'm disappointed in you. I'm angry with you. And if that's where we're at today, if that's how we feel today about God, we need to know that we have created God in the image of our past experiences. And if you have a father wound or a family wound or something in you that has changed your perspective of who God is, I want to encourage you, A, to believe in the Bible and who God says he is, who he reveals us, who he reveals himself to be. But B, you got to know that he is gracious, he is good, and he has called you to a life of greatness. And I'm not talking about riches and you're going to live in a mansion now because there's people who preach that and I won't believe that's right. But I'm talking about greatness, where God has called us to serve his kingdom. The disciples asked 15 times, they asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Because they all had this need, like, oh, we want to be the best. And they had this pride issue, right? This superhero issue that they wanted to be the superhero. And Jesus is like, you want to be the hero? You want to be first in the kingdom of God? You got to be last. And what he's saying is he's saying, hey, it is not about how much success can you have? How much success can I have? But living out the kingdom of God, being the hero, is knowing who the real hero is, and it's Jesus. Understanding that and then living out that truth. That now we know who we are. We are children of God. We are saved. We are redeemed. We are set free from sin. We're not our jobs. We're not our 401k. Those are all great, but that's not our identity. What is our identity? We are children of God. We are children of the Most High. And now we go forward and we serve God and we love the people around us. That's our mission. And when I see people in this video, right, like Greg and Seal, it's something so simple like making coffee and cookies, which I just learned how to do, by the way, (laughs) which is sad, I know, as a man in my 20s. But something so simple like coffee and cookies or opening doors for people. And this is what God has called us to do, to let go of our pride, to let go of our egos, 
to let go of everything that says life is about me and recognize that we are children of God and to step forward and to serve God and to serve his people. That's our call. So I want to leave us with a verse today. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. Let's pray. God, we thank you and we love you. God, you are so gracious. Yes, we do not deserve your presence. We do not deserve salvation. We do not deserve redemption. We don't deserve freedom. And yet you grant it to us freely. And God, if there's anybody here today, Lord, that feels far from you or feels scared of you and so they're hiding and they're burying what you have given them, God, set them free by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, set them free. Let them know who you truly are, that you are a God of goodness, you are a God of greatness, and you are a God of grace and mercy and love. Father, help us know who you, who you are so that we can know who we are and so that we can put our faith in action. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen.